Well, hello, Pastor Matt here. Just want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in to this message. We here at New Life Baptist Church hope that in making these resources available to the public, that we'll help to edify the body of Christ at large, and that you personally will increase in your knowledge of God, leading to a deeper love for Him. Go ahead and remain standing. Grab your Bible. Let's start off by hearing from God first. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to do a bit of reading today, but before we're going to do it in sections. So we're going to start off by reading verses 1 through 7. 2 Peter chapter 3. Verses 1 through 7. Second Peter 3, 1 through 7. This is the inerrant, infallible, inspired word of God. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all Things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of those, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, Lord, in the midst of so much happening in this world. But Lord, we know that you are not shaking. You are not shaken You are not confused. You are not lost. You are not tarrying. You are not forgetful. You are not leaving your children out in the open with no helper. You are not blind to the reality of the wickedness of this hour. Lord, I pray that you open our minds, open our hearts. I pray that you've been preparing our hearts to receive the seed of the word of God this morning, that it would penetrate us, that it would cut deeply today, Lord, and that you would remove that from our lives that does not glorify you, God. Help us to leave here this morning impressed with the imminence of your return, for us to feel the weight of the great day of the Lord. I pray that you use me this morning, Lord, that I would not speak from from human intellect, that I would not speak from my own personal opinion, but that we would open up the word of God and that the God of the word would open us. 
And we pray for this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. The day of the Lord will come is the title for this morning. We're going to, like I said, we'll do some more reading. Keep your Bible handy. The day of the Lord will come. Let me ask you, if you knew that the Lord was to return tomorrow, would it change how you live? If you knew that next week God was sure to crack the sky and make his return, would it change what you put your focus on? If you knew that even in the next year, the living God were to return and the books would be open and you would have to give an account for the deeds done in the body, would it change what you are doing? The sad reality is that most of us would say, yes, of course I would live differently. Of course it would change what I'm doing Of course, I would put a little bit more emphasis on the Word of God. Of course, I would spend some more time in prayer. Of course, I would be a little bit more committed. But the reality is that that's how we're supposed to live. As Christians, we are to live in light of the reality of the return of the Lord. We are to live day in, day out, as though any minute now he could come and take us home. Let me ask you this morning, do you live that way? It's a question that you'll have to answer. Not to me. I am not your God. I am not your judge. But it is a question that you will have to answer to a much higher authority than I. If you've been paying attention, our world, our country, our society is in major trouble. The condition of the church in America is in major trouble. This pandemic has caused major disruptions and maybe even exposed the true heart and intention of many self-professing Christians. Let me give you some numbers. The Barna Group, you're all familiar with the Barna Group. During this COVID-19 time period, from March to July, the short amount of time, only 35% of self-professing Christians still attend church. And you might say, well, we haven't been able to. The doors haven't been open. But this is even including live streaming that they're not even attending a live stream. 35%, that's it. 32% of self-professing Christians who were involved in a church before COVID-19, four months ago, four months ago, 32% have stopped going to church altogether. They don't go to a building. They don't go to a Facebook live stream. They don't watch anything on YouTube. They have completely dissociated themselves from the body. In 2009, 50% of adult Americans identified as a practicing Christian. 50%, that's 11 years ago. 50% did. 11 years later, today in 2020, 
That number has cut in half to 25. 25% of adult Americans, this country, the country whose dollar bill says, in God we trust, does not know the God they supposedly trust in. 43% of adult Americans consider themselves Christian, but are not practicing. There are more adults in this country who identify as, yes, I'm Christian, but I don't practice my beliefs. I don't go to church. I'm not involved in a group. I don't study my Bible. I don't pray. 32% don't even identify as anything. So the lowest number in that category are self-professing Christians. Do you understand the weight and the urgency of the hour we live in? I know some people were expecting a really joyful rah-rah speech this morning. But how can we when our country is in devastation? How can we when Christians are falling away left and right? How can we, how dare we come together and say, Yay! I'm excited. I just got a really nice encouraging message. Now I'm going to go to Abuelo's. Not today. In California, our brothers and sisters there are facing the government telling them they cannot sing in their public services. Could you imagine that? What are we learning? It shows that our country is in turmoil. Where are the Christians? Our country condones, sanctions, and celebrates the murder and dismemberment of unborn children in the womb. Our country condones, sanctions, and celebrates every manner of extreme sexual perversion and the so-called gay marriage. We live in a time of absolute lawlessness, and where is the church? Where are the Christians? Busy at work? Busy with this, that, and the other? Busy with this, that, and the other? But what about the return of the Lord? What about the faith that we are called to? What about the life that we are called to? to live every day. Brothers and sisters, it is time for us to awake from our slumber. It is time for us to be reminded that there is a living God whose return is imminent. His first appearing was to make a way for us to be saved from judgment. And his second appearing will be for him to execute judgment. On that day, you will either rejoice that salvation has arrived, or you will cower in fear, because the day has come. With every passing day, eternity is inching closer. What are you doing to prepare for that reality? In our text this morning, Peter says, I am writing to stir you up. I am writing 
to stir you up by way of reminder. Who is Peter writing to? His audience, unlike many other epistles, he's not writing to a particular church like we studied the book of Colossians and he was writing to the church at Colossae. Well, first and second Peter was to several churches. We learn something from that, don't we? We learn that the problems that Peter is addressing are being experienced by several different churches, several different groups of Christians. So it's not new. This is nothing new. We've always been this way. In his opening of this letter, he says that he's writing to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he's saying, I'm writing to Christians. I am writing this letter to stir you up, Christian. To stir you up, self-professing Christian. And remember the predictions of old. I want you to notice here in chapter 3, look at the text. It's it's verses 1 and 2. He says, This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Your, Your Bible might say, stimulating your mind. But the idea that is being conveyed here from the original language, is to stimulate someone's feelings or action or to stir someone as from sleep, to wake them up. And this is what he wrote in the Greek. So it doesn't matter our translation differences. What Peter is saying is, I am writing to you Christians to wake up. Wake up. Remember. Remember what you've been called to. Evidently, his audience has fallen asleep at the wheel to some extent. Maybe a person or persons who, uh, because a person or persons who are already stirred up, have no need to be stirred up. Right? If you're already excited and thrilled and you're good to go, you have no need to be stirred up. Evidently, these people have fallen asleep. There is a sense of urgency then and imminence in what Peter is writing. And notice how he chooses to do this. Notice what he says. I'm writing to stir you up, your sincere mind, by way of reminder that you should remember. That's so interesting here. I want you to recall what you already know In other words, Peter isn't bringing to these churches' attention some new information, some new revelation, or a new way of thinking or approaching Christianity. He isn't bringing new ideas or new exhortations to the table. Rather, he is reminding them of things of old, words that they've heard before that they would be quite familiar with. That means us too. Remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through the apostles. Evidently, something is happening in these early churches. Something is going on, causing them to need to be reminded, to be stirred up, to be woken up. Maybe it's the false teaching that Peter writes about in chapter 2. 
Maybe they've allowed sin to infiltrate their ranks and they've now become okay with sin within the church. Perhaps they've simply fallen into complacency, which is the silent killer. Complacency takes the lives of many Christians. It's written in the Proverbs, very simply, plainly put, that complacency kills. So I wonder if there are any of you in here today who would say, I fit one of those categories. I sure have need to be stirred up. I sure have cooled down. I sure have allowed the fire to begin to dwindle. I sure have lost sight of what Christianity is about. I sure have turned into one of those people who just goes to church. I sure have, that fits me. Listen, you don't have to like what I say today, but you need to ask the question, is what that man is saying true? You don't have to like it. You can leave here mad at me today. That's fine, I'll understand. But you need to ask yourself, is what I'm saying true? Because if it is, then it really, really matters. Have you fallen asleep? Have you grown cold? Have you become too focused on something else? In which case, Peter's prescription here is to douse the dwindling fire within you with gasoline. The gasoline of calling what you know to be true already to mind. He intends to wake us up from our slumber using the words spoken by the prophets from old. The command spoken by Jesus Christ through the apostles. Not some secret method. There's not some groundbreaking idea. There's not some secret trick to being stirred up. What Peter says here is, I'm writing to stir you up by reminding you. Remember what you know. Remember what you've already heard. Remember the predictions of old. Remember the commands of Jesus Christ. Remember. And through doing that, we will be stirred. I want to lay before you the following major headings for today. We're going to look at the predictions rendered, the punishment restrained, a people ready, and the promise realized. If you have a bulletin, those are already there for you, and you can just take notes under the headings. Let us be stirred up by this text today. As we look at the predictions rendered, this is verse 1 and 2. So what is this prediction that's spoken long ago? What's Peter talking about exactly? What is it that they they are supposed to call to mind? Now, there isn't any one place in particular in the Bible that we can go to and say, this specifically is what he means, but rather there is prophecy aplenty in the Old Testament. And that's what he would have been referring to because they would have had the law and the prophets. They didn't have a MacArthur study Bible, right? They didn't have the Christian standard Bible that they could go buy at Mardell. They had the law and the prophets. So they'd be familiar what was written there. And Amos 5.20 says, Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light 
and gloom with no brightness in it? This is the word of God. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? Daniel 7, 9 through 10. As I looked, thrones were placed and the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. What is that? That's judgment day. That is everybody standing before the great white throne of judgment where the holy living God will stand and open the book and say, come forward and you will answer for the deeds done in the body. Isaiah 13, 9 through 13. Behold, the day of the Lord comes cruel with wrath and fierce anger to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. I will make people more rare than fine gold and mankind than the gold of Ophir. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken out of its place at the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. Do you see it? This is the prophecy of old. This is the predictions of old that the day of the Lord will come. There are many, many more, but you get the picture. And the people would have been familiar with these words, and I know that you are too, but people don't preach like that anymore. When I was growing up, there was a lot of preachers that did what they used to call hellfire and brimstone preaching, right? And now we have pillows, soft, cuddly messages, and we wonder why the church is falling apart and dying. It's time for us to remember the predictions of old. Even in the day of Peter's writing, though, people didn't believe it. That's what it says. Look at verses 3 through 7. Knowing that, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. Is he talking about the great flood? 
that the world was destroyed by water. What are these people saying here? What are these scoffers saying? Where is this promise of his coming? Scoffing. Laughing. Yeah, right. You Christians have always said that stuff. Remember Y2K? You said that God was coming. You've been saying that forever. You preachers, you always say stuff like that. But he's still not here yet, is he? Suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. Desiring to continue to live in sin. We suppress the truth. We laugh at it. We scoff at it. We say, yeah, right. We harden our own hearts. But the day of the Lord will come. Isn't this our world today? With such wickedness and rebellion? But what about you in here? Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten that the Lord is coming back? Sure, it might be a thousand years from now. It could be this afternoon. We have no idea. And trying to predict when is not the point. What the point is, is how should we live in the meantime? Keeping this on the forefront of our mind and on our heart. You see, Christians were called to live different than this world. We used to believe in that. We are gravely mistaken if we think this way. You see, Jesus said it would be as in the days of Noah. In the days of Noah, everyone was going on eating and drinking and taking in marriage until one day the ark door was closed and the rain came and came and came and destroyed the world and all the wickedness therein. Let's remember this today. Let's look at the punishment restrained. Read verses 8 through 11 with me. He says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. This is the New Testament. And we think that the New Testament's just full of, oh, God's a lovey-dovey, he's just a, he's just a cutie. No. My Bible tells me that my God is a God of vengeance. My God is righteous and just. The my God will not pardon wickedness. The my God will come one day and he will execute judgment. We have forgotten. You see, people then and people now wake up day after day, go to work, go to lunch, go back to work, Come home, make dinner, pet the dog, kick the cat, go to sleep, wake up, go to work, have lunch, come back to work, 
leave work, go home, eat dinner, pet the dog, kick the cat, go to bed, and over and over and over. And this is our lives, but we show up on Sunday morning, say, hallelujah, I'm a Christian. Where? Where? You don't have to answer me. But the day is coming when you will have to answer. Maybe God forgot. Maybe he isn't coming after all. Maybe if he does come, it'll be another thousand years from now. So we move on. We forget that as Christians, we are not to be of this world. We are not to be like your co-workers, like your friends, like your family, or like anyone else. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood called out from the world and told by the Lord God Almighty, be holy as I'm holy. Where is that? Where is that today? We forget that we serve a God whose return is imminent, who told us to be ready because he can return at any hour. Read through the Gospels, parable after parable, of God's return coming quickly when no one is expecting it, and it's from the mouth of Jesus. We have forgotten that the great day of judgment is approaching. We have forgotten the prophecies of old, that the ancient of days, the God who spoke from the burning bush, the God whose name is Jealous, the God who sits enthroned in the heavens, Jesus Christ our Lord is coming back. And on that day, he's not going to be a gentle servant like his first time around. He's going to be a conquering king, executing judgment. It's going to happen. What are you doing to prepare? Maybe he doesn't come back in your lifetime. But when you die, the moment your eyes open and you are in eternity, you'll stand before him. And the books will be opened and he'll say, what did you do with my son? Did you believe my son? Did you put your faith in Jesus Christ, my son? Because the book doesn't seem to indicate you have. But Lord, Lord, I went to church every day. But Lord, Lord, I prophesied in your name. I cast out demons in your name, Lord. Depart from me, for I never knew you. We think God is being slow to fulfill his promise, but he's not late to the party. He's not a few minutes behind, believe it or not. He's not forgetful. He's certainly not asleep at the wheel. He is being patient. You see, on that great day of judgment, all of those who have not trusted in Christ alone for salvation will be destroyed in a terrifying fashion by the Lord as the Lord himself pours out his fierce anger on the world. Until then, he is giving us, the world, you, an opportunity to turn to him. Just as the Lord granted time for the door of the ark to remain open before judgment came, just as he warned Nineveh that judgment is coming, repent, 
He's now giving the world as a whole an opportunity to turn and repent and so be saved and flee the wrath to come. The Lord is being patient. Why? Because he is gracious and long-suffering. And we need it. We need it. The Lord is being patient, giving you an opportunity to wake up. Wake up and turn to him. Every dawning of a new day is the beckoning hand of the Lord saying, come to me and be saved. Come to me and be saved. Come to me and be saved. Every new day when the dawn, the dew is fresh on the ground, the mercies of the Lord are fresh upon the day and he's giving you another opportunity to turn to him. Brothers and sisters, turn to him today. We need to be reminded, just as they did in Peter's time, that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, unexpectedly, suddenly, terrifyingly. Then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the works that we have all done will be exposed. You can leave here today not believing this. That's your prerogative. But one day we're all going to find out. One day we'll see. So you don't have to convince me. You don't have to convince the person sitting next to you. You just have to convince the creator of this world. You have to convince the one whose breath is in your lungs. The one who is keeping your heart beating right now. The one who suspends the world on an invisible string. He hangs the world on nothing. The one who sits on the throne. That's who you have to answer to, not me. And on that day, we will all answer, and it will be a terrifying sight for those living in wickedness. But even so, Lord, come. So, if this is all true, If the great day of the Lord is coming, how then should you live? As a people ready is our third heading. Look at verses 11 and 12. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. Never mind what everybody else is doing. Never mind what somebody else in this church is doing. Never mind what you grew up believing. What sort of people should you be in light of the imminent return of the Lord. Peter answers his own question, doesn't he? He says, in lives of holiness and godliness. Boy, those are sure lost today. We care more about being people who go to church than people who are godly. We care more about being moral than being holy. We care more about, well, I read my Bible this many hours a day. How about you? Then we do applying what it says to our lives. 
We care more about listening to Caleb than listening to what God says you should be doing in your life. We love to post stuff on Facebook, don't we? But what about what's written on our heart? Do the walls of your heart match the wall of your Facebook page? Or is there more scripture and godly themes on your Facebook page than on your heart? Jesus never said, pick up your Bible and go to church. What did he say? Take up your cross and follow me. Jesus never said, he who would live a moral life must have perfect church attendance. He didn't say that, did he? What did he say? Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Jesus has given the command very clearly to not listen to what is written in this word is to obey, disobey God himself. It's not to not listen to a preacher. I'm nobody, okay? I'm not, I'm not the person, I'm not your authority. I'm not the one you will answer to. On judgment day, you'll stand there by yourself. Your mom won't be there, your dad won't be there, your husband, your wife, your brother, your sister, your friends. Nobody will be there, it'll be you. And the book will be open. Church membership is great, but you could be a member of every church in the world and still die in your sins. Church attendance is great, but you could never miss a day of church in your life and still never know the Lord. Saying glory to God is great, but you could say that every day of your life and never bring God glory. Singing praise and worship songs is great, but you could sing every beautiful hymn ever written and never worship God. Where's your heart this morning? Church, it's time to examine ourselves. You, not me. Not me examining you, it's you. It's time for you to look at your heart and ask yourself, do I fit this passage? Is it true of me that I have fallen asleep, that I have grown cold, that I have deliberately been overlooking the return of the Lord? Have you been more focused on the things of this world than the things of God? Have you been living for yourself? Have you ever even come to a true saving faith in the Lord in the first place? Have you ever trusted in him for salvation? Has God ever done a work in your heart to the extent that you have become a new creation and all things have passed away and all things have been made new? Have you ever been reborn by spirit and water? Have you ever tasted and seen that the Lord is good yourself? I'm not asking you about your church attendance. I love that you're here. It's great. But where's your heart? More importantly, what is the condition of your heart? 
And before you're too quick to answer and say, oh yeah, I done did that one time, preacher man. I raised my hand that one time, I remember. Test yourself. Have you come to know him though? Have you come to know God? Does he know you? Or do you just want to be called a Christian because it makes you feel better? How then should you respond to this message today? Let's let God answer that. In Joel chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, he says, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Turn to him today and so be saved. If you've been asleep, wake up. If you've let the fire die down, pour gasoline on it. If you've been pursuing the things of the world, turn around and turn back to God. If you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, repent and believe in Jesus today. Turn to Him. Return to the Lord with all your hearts, for He is merciful. When you come to Him, it won't be a lashing that you will get. It will be open arms that will embrace you. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, it will not be condemnation that He will rain on you. It will be grace. Undeserved, beautiful grace that none of us could ever earn. When you come back to Him, He won't say, "Uh Uh-huh, where have you been? He'll say, My son, my daughter, you've come back to me. Bring out the fattened calf. Throw a party. One sinner has repented today. And there will be a celebration in heaven. The likes of which we've never seen here before. Then, live a life of holiness and godliness. Not church attendance. Not I try not to cuss as much anymore. Holiness and godliness. What are those things? Holiness is being set apart, consecrated to the Lord. That I am His, He is mine. Godliness is Christ-likeness. That I try to apply what Christ teaches in my life. Holiness and godliness. And as you do these things, hold on to the promise. One day, as verse 13 says, but according to His promise, We are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. See, the Lord will destroy the wicked world and bring in a new heaven and a new earth. We will have glorified bodies free from sin.
will be free from our iniquities to worship the Lord all of eternity. We will live in a new earth where righteousness dwells, where a great multitude will worship the one who lives forever and ever, the one who is seated on the throne, and we will surely join the elders in singing, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And all the hosts of heaven will say, Amen, Alleluia, Alleluia. And that will be our song forever. What a beautiful day that will be. One day the promise will be realized. For those of us in Christ who... You don't need to be stirred up today. You have been pursuing holiness and godliness. Fight on, brother and sister. Keep going. And look forward to the day, hastening the day that the Lord returns. So until then, how ought we to live in light of these prophecies and promises Beloved, let us stir up one another in light of this passage and wake from slumber. Let us be reminded of the prophecies of old. Let us be reminded that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, but is displaying incredible patience towards us. Let us live as a people ready in pursuit of holiness and godliness and cling to the hope that we have that one Day, we will have the promise of our Lord's return realized. Please stand.